Hello and welcome to another episode of Coppola Idiots, a chronological dive through Nicolas Cage's illustrious film career. As always, I'm your host, Sam Williams, joined by my best buds. Hi, I'm Adam Potts. And I am Milo Brucker. And uh, yeah, today we're talking about Nicolas Cage's first uh, starring role. Yes, first leading role in a film. Uh, We're talking about Valley Girl. Um, So, yeah, what did you... I mean, I know how I feel about this. What's just your guys' initial impressions of the movie? Do Do you ever see something that makes you remember just how much you fucking hate the 80s as, like, a concept. Oh, get out of here. Like, do you ever watch a movie that makes you really want to take a shit on Reagan's grave and, like, burn down every shopping mall? Because, like, I will say. So you're I a big fan. Not hate the f- <laughs> I did not dislike the movie. But the aesthetic of 80s really permeates throughout this whole thing. I don't know uh, what your problem is. The 80s is, the aesthetic of the 80s is great. I love it. So, um, yeah, how'd you feel about the movie, though, so Adam? Here's, here's how I felt. Uh, I felt the setting was good. Um, it made me like Fast Times at Richmond High a little bit more. Um, hmm. Because uh, there's just some, like, uh, fundamentals that these movies are just not hitting. Um, and it's breaking my heart. Breaking my heart. Because, again, once again, this movie was so close to being an excellent, excellent movie. Um, yeah. And uh, maybe maybe this is my thesis statement. Um, but it lacked character. Um, they did a lot of saying that, like, Nicolas Cage's character... What was his name? Uh, Randy. Randy, Randy they, yeah. they talked about how wild and crazy Randy was, but he wasn't that wild and crazy until the third act. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. They, once again, this was kind of like a parallel to Fast Times at Richmond High. They set up conflict, but it almost never paid off in any meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then three, I think the pacing at certain points were a little bit off. Oh, yeah. yeah. The pacing sure. was my biggest issue, for sure. Yeah, I have to say, I'm going to be the, the negative black hole here in terms of, I think this might be one of my least favorite movies I've ever watched. Oh, it wasn't I, that bad. I truly, I mean, I, I, mean I, I agree. I don't think it's, like, one of the worst movies ever made. But for me personally, like, I, I just truly truly hated it like it, it is i think it's very fun to watch nicholas cage's first um you know big on-screen appearance and he is very much nicholas cage in it so like mm-hmm. that aspect of it uh was interesting but man i just i just did not like it at all i really did not enjoy it yeah but I, uh, there, oh god that's it there were for sure multiple scenes and like we can get into the specifics later where they either dragged on way too long or like you could have made the movie just as good and the story would not have been impacted at all if you had just removed the scene in its entirety yeah um like the one that comes to mind is uh that second act part where nicholas cage is down in the dumps and goes to the bar again yeah and there's like a 10 minute scene that stretches on forever and it's just it's not setting up any of the uh conflicts that are like currently ongoing it's not like reintroducing us to characters who had been out of the film and it's just those sorts of issues just throughout in so many places i think you're dead wrong i think it was one of the best parts of the movie and what you so first of all what you said right there about reintroducing characters it reintroduced fred it didn't do that until the very last bit of that scene you're forgetting the five minute softcore porn bit where he's hooking up with his ex-girlfriend who we'd never hang on hold on they had to they showed Randy hitting rock bottom. Sure, he had that 
weird sex scene, but it's an 80s movie that's rated R. It's going to have some of those. And it was better than the one with the weird side character who's the stepmom trying to bang a delivery boy who has nothing to do with the plot whatsoever. No, no, no. That, think, he, no wait, wait, wait. I'm he, not saying that's not Wait, wait, wait. Not point of bad. clarification. He didn't sleep with the stepmom. He ended up... I know, he did ultimately sleep slept, with the daughter. He slept with the daughter. Which but made no whole, sense. <laughs> the whole plot line of that of Skip trying to sleep with a stepmom and sleeping with the daughter, if you add up all of those scenes, it's probably twice as long as that scene. Like, that whole arc, that whole thing could have been completely removed and it would have no bearing no, on the main characters. You are correct. I'm getting, it is 20 here, here's minutes what I'm saying. extra. That scene in the bar is setting up rock bottom. It's setting up Randy going back to his, like, old ways. Um, and like re rebounding without love and feeling empty because of it. And it's also got Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage and like trying to fight some Mexican guy and like throwing up behind a dumpster. I thought it still wasn't great, but it served a purpose in the movie. And there's so many parts of the movie that didn't serve a purpose. So I will say, as a sort of middle ground here, I, I get what you're saying, Adam, in terms of, you know, if you want to compare it to other irrelevant scenes, like the whole stepmom subplot, it does more for the movie or plot or characters than, like, that's, that stepmom plot does. But I also agree with Milo that everything that you're saying that that scene does, you could condense it down to, like, maybe even 30, like 30 seconds to a minute instead of however long that segment actually is in terms of like, mm -hmm. you want to show him going to rock bottom, show him drinking at the bar. The scene with the girl could also be cut down to, I mean, you could just distill it down to like the sex scene in like, just distill it down to them making out and him ripping open her shirt. And then, because she, I mean, she has no relevance whatsoever. I mean, like you said, it, you know, if it's supposed to show like meaningless set him going back to meaningless sex, that's fine. I think it also serves a, a purpose of, I think him and Julie actually don't even hook up at right. any point in the movie. So like, I they think don't. it, it, and it carries shows that he's a thing of like there for it. Yeah. Yeah. That, so like his really, so, and I agree with you every, if you just like wrote down the plot points on a, not the plot points, but you know, each little bit on a piece of paper of him showing up to the bar drunk you know, getting in past this guy who's like, oh, buddy, you're real fucked up. Falling back with this lady. I thought the bathroom scene was a really good mirror to the party where he was, like, hiding in the shower and looking at other people. Speaking so, of scenes that were entirely okay. too well, hold long. Hold on, hold on. Let me finish my... So the, the point there is every part of that sequence, even if it wasn't executed well, had a purpose, had a, an impact to the plot, even if it wasn't executed well. So that, that's all I was saying. I know it wasn't necessarily enjoyable or well executed, but in terms of like, if they polished that up and cut it down, it would have functioned and served a purpose. I could buy that. Now, wait, but I, I want to yeah. have us take a step back here. So before we, we, you know, keep talking about specific plot details, yeah, let's, let's roll it back a little bit. Just give, let me just give some raw facts about this movie. Uh, yeah. for the listeners here. So we're, I know we're still in the, the realm of the eighties. We've been talking about that a lot. This movie came out 1983. Uh, it's directed by Martha Coolidge, which I thought was interesting, not because she's particularly interesting, but it is another female director, um, which has at least for me been continually surprising me because there are so many scenes in these comedies that like, you know, if I didn't know, I'd assume it's, a male director just because it seems like these are scenes just for the male gaze kind of thing. Um, so I thought it was interesting. And as far as the budget is a pretty small budget, only 350,000, but uh, it did pretty well in the box office, $17.3 million. Um, it doesn't have any of the like accolades that fast times did, but you know, made some money. Mm -hmm. Launched Nicholas Cage's career in a way. Um, yeah. one thing I, I wanted to talk about that I noticed really early on in the movie, cause I know Milo, you mentioned, uh, that this just made you think of everything you hate about the eighties was right at the beginning. The, the freaking lingo, the, like, they try to get in every like catch, you know, every like buzzword of 
like you know tubular man like i didn't realize the phrase bitchin was so colloquial no but you're right that i mean yeah bitchin was used all the time and just Everyone just sounded so dumb and not even like in a way of like, oh, people talk dumb in the 80s. This was in a way of like, oh, you're making all these actors sound so dumb because this dialogue is so bad. So I think I have a couple of opinions on it. One, my fiance, Katie, she agrees with you guys. She thought it was over the top and bad. But I think there were two issues. One, the dialogue was just really bad. Like the dialogue in general was terrible. I thought the lingo was okay, and I'm comparing it to something like Clueless, where, like, this movie is to the 80s as Clueless is to the 90s, uh, or Legally Blonde, like Legally Blonde is to the 90s. Um, 2000s, but okay. (laughs) Was Legally Blonde 2000s? Yes, it was. I'm an asshole. Okay. And a liar. Um, (laughs) So the, the lingo, to me, was it, like totally way over the bodacious top yes but for me that didn't that didn't bother me like i don't know i think though like when you compare it to you know specifically clueless and legally blonde and you know i could be wrong about this but when i think of those two movies like i think that kind of thing is is sort of satirical you know like when it comes to legally blonde like it's supposed to heighten you know people's expectation of that she's just a dumb blonde based on like the way she talks and that kind of thing. And I don't necessarily think it was, I could be wrong for sure, but I don't necessarily think it was at any point supposed to be satirical in my mind. It's the, the screenwriters thinking this is how teenagers talk now and them not being teenagers and not understanding how teenagers actually talk. That's was my impression. But I mean, obviously, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe it was supposed to be satirical in which case, like, is supposed to be as over the top as it was and be a joke. But I, I, I didn't get that impression. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I mean, it, it does lead to a confusing tone for the movie. And I think you pointing out that those, I mean, Clueless definitely uses it satirically. And so does Legally Blonde, even more importantly for Legally Blonde. So I think you have a, a really valid point there. Um, and if we think, again, a good comparison, Fast Times at Richmond High, where where was that set? Was that set in L.A. as well? Do you guys it remember? wasn't L.A. I'm pretty it's sure it's... Southern California, though. Yeah, it is. I want to say it's, it's San Francisco, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, so even, like, if you compare what Spicoli uses... Mm. Even like Spicoli is such a well-developed character that his use of lingo feels natural and it didn't always feel natural in this movie. So it, it didn't, it didn't bother me. Like I, you could kind of make an argument for it, but I think you have a very good point that it was kind of misplaced. Well, and for me too, it just contributes to like overall you know, not getting attached to any of the characters, one, through terrible dialogue, and two, through, I think, pretty bad acting across the board. Um, I think Nicolas Cage gives one of the better performances, but... For sure. I wouldn't say anybody does a great job, and I think the the, the female lead, which I know the character is Julie. I don't uh, know off the top oh, of my head who was playing uh, her. Deborah Foreman. Yeah, I, I really... I mean, I think, you know... I think it's a bad script. I think the dialogue's bad. So you have to find w- at what point you can start to blame the actor instead of what they were given. But I thought she was a pretty terrible lead. Um, she kind of just is just a doe-eyed romantic protagonist, and I never really see any depth past that in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, like, all the friends, too, I think. I mean, and part of that is, like you said, the the you know, the dialogue is kind of cringy. And when there's no character to back that up, like Spicoli is a great example where there's so much establishing what his character is that the lingo feels natural. We don't really know anything about any of these characters other than their teenagers. Right. Like we get the, the Valley versus Hollywood dynamic, 
but they don't even really take the time to define what that means. They just assume we right. know it. And I, that was a that's an excellent point. That was the most confusing thing to me was whenever uh, Randy and his friend Fred were going to crash yeah. the party. Um, why why is it bad that they're here? Why why are they not? They don't look that different. They don't have like this yuppie aesthetic, but they don't look, you know, why is there this conflict? Um, and leaping from that, we're talking about like there's no character. The motivations are confusing. What are the motivations for her friend? The one friend um, who winds up sleeping with or almost sleeping with Tommy. What is her motivation? Is she trying to be in a relationship if is she trying to sleep with other people it starts she to come up blackmailed by tommy like it's very unclear and they start to set it up where he's like manipulating her friends to get her to come back to him and she comes back to him i thought there was going to be this big ordeal at prom that she was gonna or he was gonna embarrass her at prom he literally just wanted her as arm candy like there was no you know shakespearean iago like scheming revenge thing well also you know you know bringing in shakespeare because i don't know if i think it says something in the credits about it's you know loosely based off romeo and juliet which i feel like they give plenty of subtle allusions to including like a direct shot of romeo and juliet on the theater yes exactly stage but i feel like there is basically no justification for that i mean i know they had the dynamic of you know Mm -hmm. the yuppies versus like you said the gutter rats or whatever but it's it's the 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 idea that someone is trying to tear them apart is like so superficial because we don't see it we get a montage of them going on excellent dates and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden there's scenes of julie with her friends and her friends are just like don't date the guy. They give no reasons. We get, and Julie instantly goes to yeah. I don't know who to choose, and it's like, why is <laughs> there not... an option? Tommy yeah, it's was not a like... dick to you. And not only is Tommy a terrible person and only shown to be terrible, it's not as if there were scenes. It, she wasn't dating both of them at the same time, right? There's no scenes of her also going on dates with Tommy at the time she's going on Randy. All we get are scenes of them enjoying time together, and then she says. I don't know who to choose. <laughs> it's it's insane. Uh, there's no conflict with her parents. I actually like her yeah. parents a lot. I thought they had, I, the dad especially, had the most character out of anyone. I was l- literally about to say, the best part of that whole conflict plot that came out of it was the scene with her talking with the dad. And, like, yeah. I was watching with Kate, and, like, we both kept talking about these are like the best parents I think we've ever seen like wait, wait, in wait. a film. True, except for one point. If they took one line of dialogue oh. out of it, I would agree. But very early on, when the Julie first comes thing out, he says, <laughs> oh. he says something along the lines of, to his daughter, if you were 20 years younger. I thought he said that to the daughter's friend, which is still creepy. It was confusing. But it was con- but he I no, say, he either said way would be problematic. She looks just like you. Yeah. And like sets okay. him uh, okay. So I was like this dad is going to be a creepy cringe character and then every st- the rest of the movie just to the moon. I love that guy. I I couldn't get over that line, so I do wish it was gone cuz then I'd like be on board with it. But you are right. I mean everything every other scene with him, you know, was fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's a scene towards the end where they have, like, a one-on-one conversation, and he's supposed to be, like, steering her, I guess, towards Randy a bit, but, like, it's just, like, a scene showing he's a good parent and actually, like, listening yeah. to his daughter about her problems and, and giving mm-hmm. good advice. But they are so antithetical to Romeo and Juliet parents. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's, they, where, if, that's where I was going with it. Because, like, there's no conflict with her parents. There's some ambiguous conflict with her friends. But ultimately, I, I mean, like, there is a scene where her friends are on the bed hanging out and, like, shit-talking Randy and, and pumping up Tommy. And she's on the on the ground looking up at them. And that was, like, one of the good, like, few good shots. Like, cinema... 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 That? Cinematography. 
There's yeah, but how do you <laughs> how do you use that as a thing to describe a sh- It was a really Cinema, good shot. Cinema to crack. Where, that. That's not a word. Like, it showed to me. Cinematic. It was, cinematic, was, guys. We're making this too hard. It was a really cinematic shot. That's not even. The cinematography was good, and it expressed how awful Julie felt like her friends were making her feel. But at the same time, she didn't confront her friends. She just immediately went, well, I guess I'm dumping Randy. So, and yeah, there was also like on Randy's side, the only person we really see, I'm not counting his apparent ex who shows up for one mm-hmm. gratuitous little sex scene in a bathroom, then dips. Um, but Fred is just shown throughout the whole th- movie as like maybe a little bit of a coward, but also just generally very supportive and like helpful to Randy. And like he's fully on board with him, with Randy and Julie being a couple. So it's literally just Julie's side that's getting this pushback. And they're trying to play this up as like, oh, they're totally incompatible. I was going to say, it's even weirder when you think about Fred, because on the first date, the like double forced double date, he ends up making out with Julie's friend. And even, even in that scene, she pretends that she hates him before and after. And then in the scene where her friends confront her, she acts as if nothing ever happened with her and Fred. Yeah. I, my biggest upset with the movie was we didn't get a more conclusive finale between uh, Susie and Fred. Because honestly, mm-hmm. uh, we were when I'm watching it, they had probably a little bit more chemistry initially on screen than uh, Randy and Julie did together. You, they could have done a Romeo and Juliet Taming of the Shrew double feature. Like absolutely, totally set up for it. You could have gone for it. This is a movie that had an exceptional uh, act two with really lackluster acts one and three for me. Like it failed to stick the landing, and it had a very awkward opening. Well, so on your on your point, well, one, I agree with act one being total shit. Like act one was almost a full hour. Like whitest party I have ever seen in my fucking life. Was that peanut butter sushi? What was oh that? Oh my god! Yes, it was. That it was, was peanut butter sushi. Susie Stepan's out here trying to seduce young underage boys with peanut butter and nori. Like what the fuck? Um, but so Act One was crap. But you really liked Act Two. My something that it. Oh, I I it I hated it. Um. There's never a meaningful conversation between Randy and Julie. They just show that they're in love. They're instantly in love. There's barely any actual dialogue establishing why they like each other. And even on their first date, when they go to Randy's bar, um, he says some like really mean things to her. He does. And she just drops it and makes out with him. Like, Also, I'd say, you know, during the montage... Um, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, takes place like right after the first date or very soon after it's yeah. literally just them like arm in arm walking two places. Like, it's not like a thing where it's like, we see them bowling and then we see them ice skating and now they're having dinner and now they're at the movies. Mm-hmm. It's like just the outside of places and they're just together coming from, well, those, yeah, you coming gotta from have going as to many places. shots of downtown Hollywood as possible yeah, to it was remind just people like, we're in LA the laziest movie. thing and mm-hmm. like like you said it doesn't really do anything to establish why they're supposed to be together i mean in the movie's yeah. defense they do even less to establish why she'd be interested in tommy but yeah, yeah. i mean the, the the relationship is just so superficial and there's nothing no justification for anything yeah um and you want to talk about like lack of conflict and lack of resolution act three where he's trying to win Julie back is amazing. Nick Cage is on point. He's doing bits. He's doing scene like he's making a scene. He's in costume in disguise and none of it matters at all. He never resolves anything with Julie. His only resolution is punching Tommy in the face. That's it. He Julie never apologizes for breaking his heart. Like Oh, it, it crushed me. Because now I'm like, Randy, what are you doing? 
<laughs> You've done all these sweet things, and she she is not giving a shit about you. Oh, it made me so mad for Randy, because that's when I started to like him. <laughs> I I will say, to your credit, when I'm thinking Act Three, like for me, it's mostly dominated by the the prom sequence and we'll get to that including uh what i realized was horrified to learn was apparently a chart topping hit song in oh, 1981 God. oh uh, yeah but we'll get to that in a sec but like no, I think just now. all about everything about randy like for the context of this podcast it's really important that this is the first time we start to truly see nicholas cage go just a little bit unhinged oh yeah and like it you see the spark of what would bloom into this beautiful career of a fucking madman who would do any role any bit part any weird character mm-hmm. and you see the seeds of it already right oh, here. It, it amazed yeah. me how how much you know he's still the same person he was when he was 20 because I, I mean, I, I think, like you said, the, the scenes in Act 3 when he's, like, you know, stalking her and wearing all these disguises at all these different places she's going to is just fever dream level unhinged. I could not yeah. believe what I was watching. It's so insane. But another scene that has that same spark that we briefly touched on before that we should talk about more because it was early in the film at the party when he sneaks oh. in and is hiding out in the shower yeah. and he's just making all these ridiculous faces because he's hiding while people are having sex and doing other things in the bathroom and he's just doing all these I mean things a human being does mm-hmm. would in no way react that way but it's yeah. so Nicolas Cage we'll see it, it so many more times well, here's, here's some dialogue here's, here's where the turn happened uh, he's like it's your friends fuck you fuck off totally like for sure and then within the next like half hour he's in uh like a full diner costume going peter piper picked a pepper i guess i fucking did like (laughs) he goes off the rails (laughs) it's amazing back sam to what you just mentioned though that is Similar to the later bathroom scene, that is a scene that takes entirely too long. And in oh. the context of the film, how long was Nicolas Cage spying on people in that bathroom, I mean, waiting it was like, for one person in a party to come in? It was like five minutes. And it's like, you know, outside of the context of the film, that's the most psychotic thing I've ever yeah, seen absolutely. anybody do. I mean, he literally was... And it's not even... He could have just hid in the shower, but he was peeping over watching everybody who came in no matter Mm -hmm. what they were doing it was so psychotic and like you said it it is one of those scenes where like if you want to improve the movie absolutely take it out but as a a podcast focusing on the historical film career of Nicolas Cage I'm so glad it was in there because it it was like oh my god he's been this way from his inception this is just who he is as a person and we get it captured on screen Mm mm-hmm yeah that that was great um uh, but it, it but was a, also out of so out of place in the movie like him yeah. making faces the whole he it, it didn't make sense why he was in the shower he was sneaking back in after getting thrown out so he snuck in through the bathroom window and then hides in the shower until julie comes into the bathroom that's not a plan <laughs> like <laughs> that's like was he it makes like, no what if sense. she what if she never used the bathroom <laughs> was he just waiting for no one to come in so he could sneak out the bathroom door and immediately be noticed outside like that's what i thought he must have been but it seems like he was just waiting for julie which is yeah just a bad plan mm-hmm. but wow wow we wow um did what were some other things you guys noticed about nick cage like for me the first time we see him on scene or on screen is at the beach at the very beginning. Oh, and yeah. he looks like a total hunk. He looks like a massive dreamboat. And then they just his chest hair looked like an eagle. It was beautiful. And then I think they fucked up his makeup because he looked kind of ugly for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I can believe it. Yeah, they do do a good job of establishing. I mean, they did in um, 
Oh, uh, what the hell was the, the first thing? Um, what was the first the pilot he was uh, in? Best of times. Best, best of, of times. times. There we you. go. I think he, you know, they did get a good job of of making him look like a hunk in the best of times as well. Like he just was a strapping. I still think his face is too weird for me to say young Nicolas Cage is attractive, but like his body is ripped. I totally understand. You know, he could be a teenage heartthrob without a doubt. Yeah. But uh. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, his hair is pretty dumb the whole movie. I don't think it's like, I mean, it's very 80s. I don't think there's anything. They didn't make a wrong decision the way his hair was, but it also, in my opinion, makes him look less attractive. Yeah. They, I think I felt that they just framed his face at weird angles. Like he'd be in the same costume and in the same scene from different angles, he'd look fine. And then they pick a really weird angle for a romantic bit. And I'd be like, why are you doing this to your top top build guy like that's probably true but also knowing nicholas cage i wonder how much it's you know could be the cinematographer or cameraman's fault and how much it could be nicholas cage's fault because yeah he just likes to make those weird faces and part of that is quickly changing your angle for no and <laughs> no apparent reason fair <laughs> enough honestly you've sold me <laughs> <laughs> so who knows um yeah, we touched on this briefly. Another thing I want to talk about that I know you were talking about this, Adam, the whole subplot with the stepmom oh competing with her daughter for another side character who doesn't matter. I think it's like yeah. one of her friends who shows in a couple of side scenes. Yeah, just another like preppy valley guy. And the whole time they're like the mom's flirting with him hardcore. He's like delivering groceries and it seems clearly like, you know, he's into her. And then we get a scene of him walking into the house, clearly looking mm-hmm. for the stepmom, finds the daughter who also has a crush on him in the shower, and then they hook up. Yeah. And Which, that's it. The end of the yeah, plot. Line. That's it. So I can say, well, one, one weird thing is like, well, why did he have sex with, with Susie? And I say, if you get caught sneaking into someone's house on a lady who's in the shower and her reaction is let's bang, that's better than I'm calling the police and you're you're going to fucking jail. Yeah, even if you don't want to have sex, you just yeah. consider yourself lucky. <laughs> but say the alternative is he says, I'm sorry, I was actually here for your mom. Can you yeah. let me know when she's back? Yeah. But I, Which so, I think should have happened. That would have been yeah. a hilarious scene. <laughs> it would have been great. Uh, what frustrated me so bad, so much, is the conversation between the mom and skip in front of the pool where the mom is basically saying you should fuck me right now the dialogue was so good like there was this intense like game of chess weird (laughs) charged conversation between them and they couldn't come up with anything between the main characters nothing for randy and julie there was more dialogue between Skip and that mom than I think I ever saw of, of Randy and Julie. Like, really true, interesting dialogue. And I'm like, you guys can do it, but it, it had to have been, like... <laughs> what's that? It's an interesting take to have, Adam, on what is essentially the intro to a porn scene. Like, I might right, as well but be. that's how bad the other writing is. <laughs> like... <laughs> It was, like Adam, was Adam's watching. basically saying, get the Brazzers writers in here to fix this movie. <laughs> I agree with that. It's supposed to be Romeo Juliet. And they're like, I'm a free spirit. I'm not. Let's kiss. There yeah. was a lot of titty in this movie. And like, I expected some, but there was a lot of just, I guess I forgot like the 80s. You could just throw that out there a lot yeah. more because like. Even from, like, the initial party when her friend is uh, about to fuck Tommy, like, we're immediately off the back ripping off shirts. Like, there's no cutaways. Everyone is... Every female character, I'm pretty sure, is naked in this film at least once. No, actually, Julie is not. I don't think so. Julie is not? Julie is never, yeah. Well, no, Um, my... Go ahead, Sam. Well, I was just going to say... I mean, I I don't know if it's every female character or whatever, but what I will say is... You know, comparing this to Fast Times, 
I mean, there it's problematic in either case because all these characters are supposed to be teenagers. But in this movie, it is just completely superfluous. Yeah. Um, with you know maybe the exception of the the sex scene in the bar, but once again, I don't I have problems with that scene anyway. Yeah. But the other times, it's literally just random characters. I mean, the scene with her friend. Yeah. I don't think that scene necessarily needs to be in there. All it does is show how terrible Tommy is. And mm-hmm. even if it's there, she doesn't need to be topless. They don't even actually have sex. They just fool around. Yeah. This well, topless scene in the in the bathroom while Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. is watching. We don't even know who it, who it is. Doesn't matter. Right. I think when they set up that scene between Tommy and I don't know, I can't remember what her name was. Um but when they when they start to go they don't even start to go at it tommy is like forcing himself on her and she's kind of there for it and it's uncomfortable yeah. and then when she mentions does this mean we're going steady and tommy goes no i think this means you're a terrible friend i won't tell any i won't say anything if you don't and then he goes tell and tells his friends that's when i was expecting tommy to be an iago that is like yeah setting up this guy as a horrific manipulative villain mm-hmm. and it just falls apart so in that specific case i do i think the nudity there was more to sell seats sure um but it felt to me uncomfortable and like very forceful and i thought that would do something to damage it really set up tommy as a villain and in yeah. a way that was not fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me. I mean, you know, I could maybe, I get what you're saying. I could maybe feel like it was less gratuitous if um, what they established in that scene was ever used for anything else. Right. Um, but it, it reminds me of a conversation I've had about Game of Thrones all the time, where I know a lot of people really hate, um, there's a scene and maybe it's season two with, prince joffrey and he like brutally he's supposed to be having sex with these two prostitutes and basically forces one to like nearly maim the other Mm -hmm. and it's a horrific scene of sexual violence and you know at the end of the day what's the point of that scene to show how terrible joffrey is but how necessary was that scene when that's already been established gets further established later you know who's that scene for and in the, I think that applies in this case, too, because, like, if we got that master manipulator thing or just that pure, I, I don't know. I mean, if they did anything with Tommy's character ever again, that scene could be justified. But instead, yeah. we just get a very cringy, fucked up, sexually charged scene. Yeah. And for no benefit, like, probably, like you said, to, to show a girl's tits to sell seats. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's just intensely problematic to me. And I I do want to make two points. And the first is like your point with Joffrey is totally valid. I think Tommy's character is different because sexual motivation is very much there for him. Mm-hmm. So having that be like some kind of sexual transgression I think makes more sense for Tommy than Joffrey. Mm-hmm. My other point is I'm cool and down and here for gratuitous nudity of everybody, and I want it. Both movies that we've seen Adam's have very uncomfortable, underage, and pretty much like borderline rapey, non-consensual stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me super uncomfortable, and it makes me mad because I'm like, why does it have to be this way? You know, like the scene I with. Mean- Susie and Skip is like they're both consenting. There's nudity here. There's guy butt. There's lady butt. Great, you know. But the the other two instances were just, I mean, maybe not with. Well, Randy was not enjoying it that much. Also, they were both clearly very drunk. Clearly yeah, very very drunk. But especially with Tommy and the friend, where it's like, uh, yeah. uh. You're you're trying. This is gratuitous for entertainment, but this is like a non, really fundamentally a non-consensual scene, where Tommy's taking advantage of her, and I don't like that. Yeah, I mean that's sort of. I mean that's one of the things. 
you're like, why do we keep seeing this? The reason we keep seeing this is we're in the realms of realm of only watching eighties comedies right now. Yeah. And that's yeah. just, I mean, that's just like the norm. I mean, like, you know, that, that scene, you know, we're talking about how uncomfortable that scene with, with Tommy and Julie's friend is, but like, that's just the lived experience of so many, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. women. I mean, still today, but especially then, I mean, then no one would bat an eye and think there was anything wrong with him, you know, forcefully coercing her into it. And like you said, to some extent, you know, she wasn't completely opposed to, to doing anything with him, but she, you know, it's about right. enthusiastic consent. And that was absolutely not there. Well, it was a drunk girl being very much pressured into sex. And it she, was she like as comfortable to watch as that sounds. She yeah. like sits on the bed and he pins her to the bed like yeah. aggressively. Uh, it's like uh, too much. Not good. So any, anyways, uh, Johnny, are you queer? Johnny, uh, are you queer? <sighs> do we want to do a <laughs> sing along? So, you know what I want to say? I hate. I thought it was a pretty fucking catchy song. I hate how catchy it is. It's like, been so in my catchy. head since I watched it. If, like if you know, if it was in a foreign language and I couldn't understand the lyrics, I would have been just straight up bobbing. Dude. It would have been a banger for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Uh, the so. The end of the movie, uh, during the prom sequence, we get a cameo from uh, singer uh, Josie Cotton, who uh, was somewhat famous for a little single called Johnny Are You Queer, um, which uh, apparently topped out at 38 on the billboards, and in true 80s fashion was subject to a bit of controversy because multiple conservative groups accused her of promoting homosexuality. Promoting. With one network claiming <laughs> that there is no Jesse Cotton and this is just a gay man trying to convert unsuspecting straight men into a homosexual lifestyle. Johnny, are so, you queer? That's was a pro-gay anthem considered? <laughs> so, at the time? By conservatives? Yes, it was considered pro gay. Uh, there's some. There were some other. Uh, now more I'm just picturing that. Here, here, here. Uh, uh, when the lights are low, you never hold me close. And I saw you today, boy, walking with them gay boys. Now you hurt me so. Now I gotta know, Johnny, are you queer? That's a gay anthem. You're telling me that's a gay anthem, and Isaac, like, what is going on? Uh, there were more left-leaning uh, publications, which apparently uh, took her to task, and as well as the Go Go's, who originally performed the song. Um, the Go Go's, yeah, yeah. This yeah. was originally performed no! live by the Go Go's. No, the Go Go's. Ruining Adam's childhood right now. You're not. Um, you're ruining my right now. I love the Go Go's. <laughs> oh, no. uh, but yeah. Um, so that's honestly it, the end of the movie. Kind of got overshadowed by uh, <laughs> me realizing this was a song, yeah. and uh, it kind of. You know, <laughs> part of that is how. I mean, you were talking about Milo. You don't like the third act because it just falls flat. I mean, one, the song just like, I mean, I think, I mean, it did the same thing. I was watching this with, with uh, Katie and we were both just kind of floored by the song. <laughs> it, it just kind of stuns you. But uh, yeah. but I, I really think the ending itself, you know, does fall flat in terms of like, I mean, like him and Fred sneak in and then Randy's like, well, what's the plan? And Fred's like, this was it. And they're just like hiding out and waiting for something to happen. He gets into a fist fight with Tommy and then they run off almost like at the end of the graduate, except so much worse. (laughs) Yeah. And that's it. Once again, it could, uh, there's no, there's no way that ending could have worked. Like if Josie was there against her will, it would be like saving her from something. You mean Julie, not Josie. (laughs) Josie. Yeah. Oh, uh, Josie was I mean, doing fine. 
<laughs> Josie was singing to a high schooler about how queer boys are. Mm-hmm. Um, remind me in a minute. I want to come back to side bit characters because there's a few amazing ones. Um, yeah. But a really something I think I think the thing that the movie did best, and this isn't high praise. This is just the a minimal amount of praise. I thought it used music pretty well. Now the the party, I will say the party scene in the in the beginning was a little bit rough, but. They used uh, Stranger's Eyes as a recurring song between Randy mm-hmm. and Julie. It was like the only endearing thing we knew about them was that song. Um, I there I can't remember. Oh, the live band in Randy's bar. Um, oh, yeah. The song they were performing when he was at Rock Bottom fit the scene and, and the feeling amazingly. And they were just great in general, I thought. I was hap- I was happier watching them. Maybe that's why I like that Randy's bar scene. I was happier watching them perform than I was watching the acting that was happening. <laughs> yeah. Now, so what are these? Uh, yeah, you mentioned these side bits that that you oh. loved. What what, are, what were oh, some of those? I've got a few too. So <laughs> it's not I just love- that. I love the driving instructor. I think his so acting. Good. Oh, I forgot about that. So good. <laughs> amazing way overacted in the best he was acting in a different movie than the one we were watching (laughs) yeah that the whole driver's ed sequence was honestly one of the highlights of the film like that was the first time julie and her friends felt genuinely funny and was also the last time (laughs) i agree that's that's so true and when the when the instructor just like yucks (laughs) out of the car (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so I completely he, forgot about that. He was amazing, and then the the announcer at prom. So they they oh, needed yeah. they needed a way to draw out the prom king and queen bit to like allow a fight between Tommy and Randy to happen, and they did it by having the teacher announcing the prom king and queen going on a diatribe about how important it was and how she didn't get to be prom queen. <laughs> uh. And she just kind of had like a psychotic monologue. Uh, it felt very it was... much like Mean Girls. She didn't even. She doesn't even go here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that bit is so good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good comparison. And then uh, there was a guy in the health food store that Julie's parents own. Um, <laughs> Milo's ma- Milo. Do you want to describe this gentleman? It, some like early silicon valley tech bro who butts in and when julie's parents are like i don't know what should be doing he's like don't worry i'll talk to her (laughs) just like from out of nowhere this character who presumably doesn't know this child is like no 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 i got this yeah yeah uh he's ordering health food from julie and they go to give it to him and randy walks in and the guy gets up and moves a seat further away from randy and then when Randy leaves, he gets up and moves back to his original seat. Um, it was amazing. But yeah, those are maybe the best parts of the movie, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Nick Cage and the costumes. And Nick Cage. Oh, what what a man! Yeah, I I, uh, I think Nicholas Cage is the only. Only reason to watch this. Also, this reminds me, this got a remake, a twenty yes, it did remake that uh, uh, also had a lot of controversy and got, I think, technically because of COVID, um, only had a like it was supposed to be in theaters and only had a home, you know, streaming release, but it also had like, ah, oh, that stupid YouTuber like is it what's his name Paul, is it Paul Logan something Logan oh. Logan uh, Paul. Logan Paul, thank you. He's in it, and uh, yeah, they got a lot of bad flag for that. Um, you it's know, a musical. For what it's, yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Also, uh, the actor, I don't know if anyone else from the original does, but the actor who plays Julie makes a cameo appearance in the film. Oh, wow. I can believe that. 
Uh, she hasn't had much work since this movie, to That's, be honest. I was pretty. Sh- I was pretty sure that was the case, so I I could believe she'd make it for the cameo. But uh, uh, good times. Man, yeah. Any, any uh. No, uh, best of times is the movie you're thinking of, sir. <laughs> yes, of course. Any <laughs> other uh, big points you guys wanted to talk about? I think uh, I think I've beaten the horse to death here. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, honestly, we talked about Valley Girl more than I thought I could. Well, that's. <laughs> so. I think I talked about Valley Girl more than you thought I could. I think I, we've talked about Valley Girl more than anyone should talk about Valley Girl. I, I agree. So on that note, let's give our, our final ratings. I think uh, this movie is worse than you think and worse than you hoped. But thank God Nicolas Cage is in it. Yeah. Uh, coming off of Fast Times at Richmond High, I will say this was better than I thought, but it was for sure worse than I'd hoped. Uh, I will say, even though I liked it the most out of all of us, I think it was worse than I thought and worse than I hoped. I had pretty high hopes for this movie, and I thought it was going to be pretty good. Um, Yeah. And it kind of let me down. But that's, you know, that's what I call life. (laughs) Disappointment. (laughs) Um, Well, speaking of high hopes, though, I am genuinely excited for our next movie. Um, I think it's Rumblefish. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Rumblefish, which will be, uh, from a quick glance at IMDb, the Coppola family's project. Yes. As it's it directed is. not only by Francis Ford Coppola, but stars a couple other Coppolas as uh, minor characters. Yeah. So it's no surprise how Nicolas Cage is in it. But I, I watched the trailer... Uh, right after I watched Valley Girl, and I am—I don't know if it'll be a good movie, but I am more excited for this than anything else we've watched by far. I've oh, wow. never heard anything about this movie. Uh, I see that Mickey Rourke's in it, um, so that'll be good. And Lawrence Diane Fishburne. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne uh, plays a character called Midget, so. I can't wait to see how problematic Rumblefish yeah. is. Yeah. It's going to be gonna deeply be problematic. I, I'm I'm very hyped for it. Uh, I mean, it seems sort of like Coppola's like version of like West Side Story or something like that. Mm. Um, all, all I know is what I've seen in the trailer and, and brief stuff. So, but I'm I'm excited. I, you all will have to wait until next week to find out. I think. Um, we can confidently say, actually, we're going to be releasing, we're going to try to do a bi-weekly schedule. So in two weeks' time, you can catch us again talking about Rumpelfish. Um, yeah, any last thoughts, gentlemen? Uh, um, live long and prosper. I don't like Star Trek, so. Uh, <laughs> fuck you, like, totally, like, fuck off, man. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Yeah, that's the perfect way to end it. So thanks again, whoever's listening, and we will all catch you later. (laughs) Have a good one. Bye.